Hi, is this Lois? Yes, it sure is. How are you today? Good. This is Tracy Vandy Venter, and I'm here with Jim Martin. Hi, Lois. Hi. How are you guys? Good. How are Th you doing? Good. Thank I you. am great. Thank you. Thanks for stepping away from your training. Uh, oh, not a problem. I hope you're not like in charge of it. You're not supposed to be on stage. No, actually, no. I'm I'm a learner today, so that's good. <laughs> and I let them know I was stepping away. So excellent. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, let us introduce ourselves just a little bit, and then we'll jump in with some questions. Uh, Perfect. But but we wanted to share with you why we were doing uh, our podcast. Both of us uh -huh. have been in education. We've worked together previously in a different district. Both of us have been administrators and. One of the one of the questions that we've had is what are those things that administrators do that um, you know creates that synergy for school change and for school success mm -hmm. and uh, and and we're now reaching out to different people that we think have had some success or have some background. So thank you for taking right. time to talk to us, Jim. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. What would you want to add, Jim? Not much. You know, I've been an administrator. I'm currently an instructional coach. So um, we've, I've been in education for 22 years and Tracy's been in education for 29. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's why we just have a passion for learning and for continuing to explore new ideas. And so that's why we decided to create this podcast. That's great. I've, I've, I've been listening to them and I've, I'm loving hearing what people are having to say. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank so. you. Thank you so much. So uh, just for our listeners, a reminder that this is the Little Things First podcast where little things in education make a big difference and we are working to uncover what those little things are. And today we're talking with Lois Skaggs, who is principal at Abrams Elementary School in Colorado Springs. And you guys won the uh, National Distinguished Schools Award uh, in 2018, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Very good. And we yeah. are so excited to talk to you to find out more about what successes you've had in your school. And and there are some really specific questions, too, as we're looking at the, the review and, and the descriptions that you have online. Uh, for uh -huh. instance, starting off with Capturing Kids' Hearts. Tell us yes. about that. Well, Capturing Kids' Hearts is um, it's a group out of Texas, the Flippin Institute, and our district has partnered with them um, for a number of years. And so three years ago, we had the opportunity to train our entire staff. And I think at that point, the training was three and a half days. Um, and it's really very um, personal. And we really work on strategies to connect with kids and to connect with each other. And we had such buy-in from our staff. Um, it was emotional. We learned things about each other we didn't know before. Um, and we took that back to the school and really shifted and changed how we interact with kids. So some of the hallmarks of, of capturing kids' hearts are, you know, we shake hands with kids every day. We greet them by name and we teach them how to do that. And the theory is that for some of our kids, that's the only appropriate touch they get in a day. Yeah. Um, it's also a great social skill. And that immediately, you know, I've always been a greeter in any school that I've been at. And when I got to Abrams, our kids didn't look at us. They didn't greet us. They didn't didn't I don't know if they didn't know how to and our kids are our, our population's highly mobile because most of them are army kids and they move every two to three years but it it completely shifted everything and so our kids as they go into the classroom in the morning they're shaking hands with teachers those of us that don't have classrooms are out in the hallways or out on the playground greeting kids 
talking to kids and you know some kids will run to class and say I already shook hands with four different people today and I got to talk to people so it's it's just that that in and of itself was really positive but our teachers also build social contracts in their classrooms with their students and you know focusing on how do we treat each other how do you how do you want me to treat you as a teacher how do you how do you think I want to be treated and what do we do when we have disagreements and that social contract really becomes the base for just all interactions in the classroom and you know when kids aren't following the social contract or they're doing something they shouldn't be doing we we start with what are you doing what are you supposed to be doing are you doing it can you do it mm -hmm. and 99 of the time that shifts right back to where we were so it immediately made a huge impact on our student community and then we started that with our parent community and so even our parents I mean they walk in the building we shake hands with them I've had parents say wow I've never had a principal greet me or I've never oh, had yeah. people shake my hands when I come into the building um, and it's, so it's really changed our community and how we interact and now when we we start our parent meetings with good things who's, who's got something good to share whether it's school related or not and so then when I've had parents like in our, our PTO group take over they start the meeting with good things so it's been neat to see that shift culturally um, powerful powerful for us that is amazing now I, I was trying to write as fast as I could and I didn't <laughs> get so you talked about this three and a half day training that you and your staff went to uh -huh. and who mm -hmm. who was conducting that training or who sponsored it's, that the Flippin Institute, Flippin. they're out of Texas, okay. Texas. Um, in our district, it was a, we had a mental health grant that we were able to pay for that training for okay. out of our district. And then I've continued to each year as we have new staff members um, come in, we, we work to get those people trained as well. So I'm training a few people every year. And we, mm -hmm. we also have a pretty mobile staff because we tend to hire military spouses. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, like I have 12 new teachers this year. Um, wow. Last year, I think we had 10 new teachers. And so it really is, yeah, I mean, we really do have, um, we have staff turnover, we have kid turnover, but we just try to keep focusing on the things that we're finding that are helping us be successful. That That is so powerful. So I'm at an elementary school and we uh -huh. have not gone this deep in making those connections. Um, we're kind of at the early stages and we're mm -hmm. working on uh, some form of greeting for every student, you know, as the students enter their classroom. And we're right. asking kids, you know, what, what, how do you want to be greeted? Do you want to have a high five, an elbow bump, a shake, or right. a side hug, you know, and we're trying to get kids to give us kind of an idea about that. Uh -huh. um, but, but I'm noticing it's, it's a new, right? It's, it, there's kind of a little uh, shift that has to happen not only just because we're helping kids recognize that you can have this connection with the adults in the building, but even right. just getting the teachers into that routine of how do you start your day and where do you have to be to start your day in that right. format. So um, I'm curious how, how in that very early stages, how did you, how did you build that or how did your staff get to that place where that new habit was created? Well, I think that we had such buy-in when we decided to do the training. Um, and we did it immediately after school was out. So, you know, everybody's tired and, and exhausted at that point. Right. They're, you know, it's the end of the school year is hard. And we had everybody just, they were so energized and so excited. And so when we came back as a staff, we just came up with that's the agreement and that's what we will do and how we will greet kids. And so, and then like, you know, as a teacher, sometimes you have a child come in 
where there's a problem. Uh, and so what we do then is the, sometimes the kids will greet the kids and they'll mm -hmm. be the greeter at the door shaking hands. And nice. sometimes kids will just do that. You know, when we have morning, when we have to be indoors in the morning because of snow, when we have all the kids in the gym kind of sitting with their classes, I'll have kids who just stop at the top of the ramp and they greet kids as they come in and adults as they come in. Right. Um, so it just is, it, it just was an agreement that we as a staff had that that would be something we would do. And the, it happens when the kids, kids go to specials too. So when they go into music, mm. they're greeted by the music teacher. When they go into PE, they're greeted by the PE teacher. And then we do that as adults with each other. And so myself and my assistant principal, you know, we make it a point every day to greet all of the people on our staff. Um, we try to do it in the mornings. It doesn't always happen in the morning, but we really don't want to go a day without greeting our staff members and having that interaction. And we, we model that too. We go in, we shake hands and I, I never was a handshaker and now mm -hmm. I have become a handshaker mm -hmm. even, even outside of, outside of work. Mm -hmm. uh, Lois, I'm not greeting all my staff every day. I, I'm writing <laughs> we <it down>. try. <laughs> That's awesome. So Lois, uh, we jumped right into the work. Can you tell uh -huh. us a little bit about yourself and what, um, you know, brought you to this place, what your journey has been? Sure. Um, I am right about 20 years in education and I started off um, and it was sort of a second career. I worked in the service industry for five or six years and realized I needed to be doing something that made a difference. And I come from a family of educators, so it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. It just took me a little while to get there. Um, but I was a special ed teacher. That's where I started off. And um, I worked in middle school in um, significant support needs classrooms. Um, I spent some time working at the high school level, also in special ed, um, in kind of a resource model. And then in a case, you know, working with kids on who I case managed uh, and spent seven years as an elementary special ed teacher and was able to, in the school that I was a special ed teacher, and I actually stepped into um, the principal role there. I was there a couple of years and then um, I moved to the front range of Colorado and was um, in a pretty affluent school district um, in a pretty, you know, our kids did well, pretty high achieving school for seven years and then um, had the opportunity to come to my current school district um, and it just has been, it's, it kind of takes me back. My very first job was in a highly, highly impacted elementary school. We were 100% free and reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved it there and, and just felt like, um, wow, there's such, we can make a difference for kids. And we had great kids. And one thing I saw in that very first school I was in was, you know, just that piece of, I felt like our kids were undervalued, you know, because they're, they come from poverty or because they come from a disadvantage, they aren't capable. And I ne never have believed that's true. And when I, we first got to Abrams and this is my sixth year there and my AP has also been with me for six years. Um, but there was definitely a belief that, um, our kids were not as capable. And so, you know, and that, go, that's, you know, and it, completely anti everything that I believe about, about kids. Um, and so we've really worked to shift immediately to shift that, um, that belief and that language, even, even in the district, you know, teachers tell me, oh yeah, we'd go to trainings and they'd say, where do you, where do you work? Uh, well, I work at Abrams and they thought, oh, I'm sorry, kind of pity. Oh yeah, that's a, that's not a good place. And so we really have worked to just turn things around. Um, you know, we, our kids were always very compliant, but weren't super engaged and mm -hmm. couldn't always tell you why they were doing things. So mm -hmm. our, our first focus was really, 
Um, we found a great article in Ed, Ed Leadership that talked about compliance versus engagement. Mm-hmm. And we, we continue to share that with teachers. And just that piece around thinking about what does engagement look like versus compliance. And then we focused on just aligning instruction to standards. And, and as a district, we've been on a journey really to look at um, formative assessment and how we use the assessment and information that we're getting to really direct instruction. And that's really what we've, we've really tried to hold to is that piece around instruction and instructional culture and then student, staff, and community culture. And those are really kind of our two big rocks that we really try to, to filter everything through. Um, is is just that place around we really feel like those are the two most important things. So we try not to, you know, have that something else. And if we're looking at bringing something else in, how does it support, you know, our vision and support what we believe about kids and what we believe kids need? And so, and then also if we're going to do something new, what are we going to let go of Yeah, that, you know, may not be as effective? And mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a just it's an ongoing process, and we're all learning constantly. But it's it's been really neat. You know, we were, um, you know, probably in the bottom five percent of schools in the state when we walked in six years ago, um, and we just got our most recent um, assessment data back, and um, our assessment um, director of assessment who loves data, he he ran numbers and he said you guys are at the eighty seventh percentile Ooh, in the state. Wow. So yeah, and we have we have no growth gaps, so we're pretty diverse, um, and all of our kids are achieving at high levels and growing and where we're really seeing it is growth. So we're, we're pretty excited. I mean, our, our, our growth numbers on kids are fantastic and, you know, we continue to strive to, we want to, we want to continue to bump the achievement, but even our achievement is above our state averages. Um, So we're just seeing this continue even with new teachers, even with, you know, bringing new staff in. I just think there's such, our teachers are so committed and there's a commitment to doing the right thing for kids. And and it just, it's, I think for our teachers to see this happening is affirming to them as well. I'm going to go back just for a second. You said these are our two Uh big rocks and I have Uh down that aligning to the standards as a big rock, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure everything we do really lines up there. What, but I'm not sure I was sure, you know, clear on what the second big rock was. Is it that greeting or is it more that compliance versus engagement? It's culture. Culture. It's, it's the culture in our building. So it's kids and our relationships with kids. It is our relationships with our community and really truly it's our relationships with one another. And, and I will tell you for me that, that piece, I mean, I've, I've always gotten along well with people, but I have learned a lot, um, you know, in the past six years about building that culture with staff and Mm -hmm. connecting with our staff members. And our building is a very different place, um, than what it was six years ago. And, uh, you know, we have a fair number of teachers who've been, been with us on the journey and then, you know, a fair number of, of new teachers, but we've really learned how important that that adult culture is yeah. to what we're doing in the building. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. It's a it's something that I've been working on. I don't think I've solved. I don't think I have all the answers. Mm-hmm. But I recognize that we have to take care of our people. And yeah. we have to support them and support their growth and, and the work that they're doing. And, uh, you know, they have lives and they have challenges right. and they are trying to get better. And they're here because they want to make a difference as well. And, and uh, again, I, I appreciate you you bringing that forward because I 
even though I'm wrangling with it, um, I know mm -hmm. how important it is. Um, yeah. Well, and it really sounds that in addition to students being clear about the differences between compliance and engagement, your your faculty, your, the the adults in the building are engaged as well. So it's not just about yes. compliance and checking off the boxes that are required, but really believing in and owning it. Yes. And, and, and I think, yeah, and, and really, too, one of the things we, we really worked on last year was, as adults, how to have those courageous conversations with one another. Yeah. Because if, if there is, if there's, if there's a challenge and it doesn't get addressed, it just grows. And so we really, really have worked on that place around how do we, you know, how do we have that courageous conversation? And as an administrator, you know, people come to you and, and often say, gosh, I've got this problem. And, and we've kind of shifted from that, what can I do, especially if it's something interpersonal to, okay, how can you plan this conversation? How can we support you as you plan the conversation? And what are you going to, to discuss? And, you know, that's not to say we have a lot of problems in the building, but I think anytime you have people working together and you have different people, you're going to have some mm -hmm you know, some form of disagreement. And there has to be a way for for all of us to address that and have those conversations. Yeah. And, you know, we're focusing on little things because we believe mm -hmm. you don't have to have sweeping reform no. to move into that success. So what I'm hearing from you are things like greeting kids and greeting adults really mm -hmm. is making a difference on building community and culture and yeah. shifting the focus to making sure we're always working with standards, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a sweeping change. It's always been there, no. but you're really narrowing that focus and trying to continue on that pro you know, process or that path on a consistent basis, even to the point where you maybe are letting other things go because it's so important. Right. Um, pick your battles. Pick your battles, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so it makes sense. Here's another question we have just from looking through the distinguished schools information. Uh -huh. uh, we're so curious about flooding groups. We were like, was that yes. a typo? What, what does that mean? Nope. And tell us. So there's a couple of ways we approach that. Um, we had a teacher who's now an administrator in the district as one of her um, graduate projects. She brought back the um, reteach and rich model, which um, she founded through Edutopia, and there was a school in Arizona that was uh, featured, and that really um, allowed us to engage in some formative assessments. So where it started was in math, and we just looked at that model and created. You know, our teachers looked at what are the what are the you know, the focus is what are the standards of what we're teaching right now and created most of them use a four square now, but created an assessment and then looked at that, the, what you got from the assessment and how did the kids perform and then took those kids. And so if there's four teachers at that grade level, they might break it down into four. I'm fortunate because we're title one school. So I use some of my title money to, um, fund interventionists when mm -hmm. we push our interventionists in there but we'll look at you know what kids need reteaching what kids didn't hit the target what kids didn't you know after after tier one instruction in the classroom what kids are still showing us that they need support and then you know what kids are showing us that they've got it they're at grade level and then are there kids that are ready even for enrichment. Mm -hmm. So we take that reteach enrich model, we'll break the kids up and spend half an hour, 45 minutes in some smaller groups because our intervention is support, but really focusing on those particular skills and it's really more of a skill-based model. So in math, and, and it really, what it helped us do was really utilize formative assessment in 
a real model. So we're not talking about, you know, theory and we're not looking at, oh, this is how you would do it. But we're saying, all right, here's our assessment. Did it tell us what we wanted? Did, did we get the information we wanted from it? And we looked at our kids. How did our kids do? And so, like, the teachers that have the best results will often have in that reteach group. Mm-hmm. the next week or two and we don't you know sometimes it's a week sometimes they're in that reteach group for a couple of weeks but part of that model is we just continue to look at that and make the shifts and make the changes um based on how our kids are doing and you know then we'll have some sort of a either it's an exit ticket or some sort of a formative assessment piece or it might just be teacher observation when the teachers say all right i think we're ready to move on you know we've got some indicators that show our kids have this skill what's the next piece we're going. So it allowed us to play around a little bit with some of our assessments we created. Are we asking the right questions? Are we, you know, I remember sitting with a teacher and she said, oh my gosh, this test doesn't even measure what we wanted it to measure. Mm -hmm. But until we got into that, we Mm -hmm. couldn't even have that conversation. And so that was, that was just a really exciting moment for all of us. And it was a real aha moment for that teacher. And then, so in, in reading, we use a similar model in the state of Colorado. Um, we, you know, one of our screeners for the READ Act is um, Dibble's assessment. And so every student has that, you know, we benchmark three times a year and then we're progress monitoring kids and there's state guidelines. We really try to dig into that data and use that data in classroom data um, to employ a similar model in reading. So when, when we're looking at that in reading support, you know, we, we again break those down and we will often have, you know, if I've got a team of five teachers, I might have, you know, three or four additional supports who can, people who can provide intervention support. And we'll again create those small groups and everybody's in a small group. So when our kids who need intervention are in an intervention model group, everybody else is in some group too. It might be an enrichment group. It might be a grade level group. It might be, you know, different if we're, if we're dealing with the lower grades, we might be focusing on very specific phonics skills with kids or comprehension skills. But the you know, what that does is we don't have those kids who most need the support missing tier one instruction in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And everybody's getting what they need for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And it ranges from 30 to 45 minutes. Actually, even when we start with kindergarten, sometimes we start those at 20 minutes because that's about as much as much attentive time as we're going to get with our kindergartners but we do that every day and we provide that model um in our classrooms and that we've seen a big bump with that as well just being able to target kid needs and and make sure that you know we're not our our kids who have the most needs aren't missing that critical grade level instruction we want to close the gap and not not widen it or just maintain it so just to check as I'm thinking in my head about the management of there, and I don't want to go mm-hmm. too far down the road, but it sounds like then you might be swapping kids a little bit. So Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Okay. Yeah, and, and the advantage of that is when we're when our teachers are meeting, they know their grade level kids. It's not just their classroom kids. Yeah. yeah. They know the kids at their grade level and, and we truly believe that we all own all kids. Nice. And and that's really that's neat for so when we're when we're problem solving or trying to you know, think about a particular solution for something by all, by more people knowing those kids, we just have different perspectives. Nice. So yeah. um, I heard you say we a lot. What's your role in those uh, teacher meetings and determining where kids are going to be organized in groups and how they're doing on assessments? Uh, I would say initially when we started, you know, the, this model, 
Um, I was definitely more involved as far as asking guiding questions and, you know, really being able to talk about, you know, this is really what this would look like because it was something new for our teachers. But, you know, at this point now, you know, I've got two amazing instructional coach slash interventionists who really lead that process and lead that process with our team. So I'm a participant. My AP is a participant, but we really try to, you know, I want to get out of the way and let my teachers do their job. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when we, when we we're we're there for some of the conversations, but you know, we had our, a team of eight people out of the building this past week for training um, at the district level. And they spent an entire afternoon after their training working through and looking at the data and looking at grouping kids. And then they'll go back to the teacher teams and have those conversations uh, with the teacher teams. And our target is to get those, get those groups running this week. And it sounds like they, they have a the lot of ownership that. on that. As yes. you say, you in the beginning were more involved, but now they've really got a lot of ownership taking yes. uh, responsibility in your maybe just support role then, huh? Yeah, and we spend we spend a lot of time in classrooms. Um, it's people come to our building and they say, "Wow, I've never had this kind of feedback." So we we ask a lot of questions. We're in classrooms a lot. Um, we're looking at you know what do you have on the wall? How do you use that? And asking questions like that so we understand um, what teachers are doing. And especially when we see great things, we can then take those to other classrooms yeah. or ask that they share those with their colleagues. Yeah, awesome. Celebrate. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Melissa, so. if you could talk to your younger self through a time machine of sorts and um, give your younger self advice to help you be more successful as an educator, what advice would you give? Um, well, I listened to the podcast, so I sort of thought about this question. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what I what I really think is that piece around pick your battles. Mm -hmm. and And that's with feedback, that's with um, kids, that's with adults. It really is you know, pick your battles, choose what's most important, what will have the most impact. Because, um, you know, with parents, with teachers, we all want what's best for kids. And so if, you know, when I come at a situation and, and ground in that, I really want to think about, you know, do I really want to die on this hill today? Or is there a better way to get where we need to get? Yeah. And how can we partner to work together? And, and I mean, I had some hard lessons and I, you know, I'm task-oriented and I'm a doer. And so, you know, when I was younger, there there were battles I chose that I know now I would not choose because it took a lot of time and energy and maybe wasn't the right battle. And so for me, I definitely would say, you know, pick your battles mm -hmm. and step back and think before you act. So, you know, those probably are the two big things that I would say to my younger self. Yeah, nice. yeah. And uh, I, I've can see that in my own right pathway of coming into this leadership role. I'm like, yeah, you probably didn't need to go there. You probably could just yeah. let that one go. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, hey, as we kind of as we kind of wrap up, uh, just thinking back again, we as educators recognize there's lots of mandates, lots of people who have lots of advice for us, you know, about how to mm -hmm. have student success. And our experience has been, it does not have to be sweeping reform, right? We, we have a sense about what needs to be done. And as you think about your own journey, as closing thoughts, what do you think are some of the little things that have mattered to you as maybe as you were teaching or just as you're going back into the role that you have in leadership? Um, I think as a teacher, one of the things 
that I ground in and as an administrator, that there's always a reason for behavior and it's often not apparent to us. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think that goes back to relationships, which has always been my grounding focus, that the relationships we have are the driving force. And that's how we that's how we make change. That's how we can impact lives. That's how we can support kids and families. But I think we have to recognize that beyond, behind every behavior, and I use that as a big term, there's a reason and we have to find out the reason. And what is, you know, what, what, what do we need to do to help that person or that group of people get there in a way that might feel better and might be more, you know, might be more palatable to most people. And so I think, I think that's a big, um, that's just one of my big beliefs is that if we understand what's happened in someone's life or what, what they're, where they're coming at a situation from, it changes how we deal with it. But that doesn't mean we can't continue to grow and continue to learn from each other. But it's that, that really understanding, you know, a kid misbehaving in class is probably not misbehaving just because they're going to be a punk and they want to, they want to irritate you. There's a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent point. It really is so important. Those relationships. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, Lois, you have inspired me and uh, Tracy oh, today, <laughs> the both of us. Uh, Thank you. We have loved talking with you and learning from you. And um, I am so impressed with the work that you've been able to accomplish. And, um, you know, congratulations. That is really Thanks. exceptional. It's it's uh, a lot of really great thing, gr a lot of great stuff happening at your school, clearly. Yeah, it is. And and I, I just want to, I mean, to give credit where credit is due, I have an amazing team. Yeah. You know, I've got an AP who is absolutely fantastic and our teachers, hands down, are just tremendous. And so it takes us all. It's all of us working together and, and really working hard to make a difference. So it's just... Um, it's it's a fun journey, and we're just we're still having fun, even when we're really really tired. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but it's kind of a good tired. You know, you're yes, you're feeling good about yeah. the work, and it's a satis satisfying tired. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, awesome. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much. It's you're great welcome. to talk to you, and um, again, thanks for your time. Enjoy sure, the rest thank of you. your PD. I hope you didn't miss anything too important. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. And it's, we're going to be done fairly soon. So I think it's all good. But thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, I look forward to hearing more of your interviews and hearing what people have to say. It's pretty interesting. Thank, thank you. Thanks Best of luck this year. Have a great day. All right, thank you. Take bye -bye. care. Bye-bye.